Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. I am super uh, excited about the word that God put in my heart for this week. Um, I get to preach out of one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Um, if you've come here for more than two years, you've heard this chapter preached out of a lot because there was a there was a time, man, where it seemed like it was just nonstop. God had me speaking out of this. It's in First Samuel chapter 17. It's the story of David and Goliath. Um, and and I want to I want to speak out of that today because um, so earlier this week, uh, the beginning of this week, I was um, I was just I was praying about something and I was I was you know talking to the Lord about it and. And I felt like I saw something in a moment in myself that I didn't like. And I realized, like, something had stole my attention. Something had stole my focus. And it, it wasn't evil in itself. And it was with a, a good heart. But I had been dealing with something um, that was going on. And it had started to become the thing that I was focused on even above him. And so I just, some things lined up, and I had some time just alone with no meetings, um, and I just started worshiping him. And then I started worshiping more and more and more and more. And pretty soon, it was all I could do is worship. And it was just pouring out of me and pouring out of me and pouring out of me. And the more I worshipped, the more I focused on him. And the more I focused on him, the more I worshipped. And it, it just started this snowball. And all of a sudden, it was like I hadn't thought about that thing in forever. But I was more convinced than ever that that thing wasn't going to be a problem. And it wasn't because I had figured something out. And it wasn't because I had, had given it my focus and my time and my attention. It was because the more I became focused on him and the less I became focused on that, the more I started to see and feel his heart for the situation and to become convinced that he was working things for good, even if I couldn't see it. And if I would keep myself in a place of trusting him and being obedient to what he called me to, I'd see his goodness in the land of the living. And so I, I want to talk out of, out of the story of David and Goliath, but, but maybe some things we haven't really talked about before, if that's possible. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, literally, I've got the tattoo on my arm of David dragging the head of Goliath around after the battle. You, you realize a couple days after the battle was over, when he went to see Saul, he was still dragging that head around with him? You know why? Because everywhere he went, people saw what could happen if one boy trusted the Lord rather than bowed to the fear of the enemy. You see a kid dragging a head around that's up to his waist. Yeah, the Bible's not boring. If you think it is, then I don't know what you're reading. It, just think about that. You've got this, this, this teenage kid who was the smallest of all his Jewish brothers. He's not a big dude. You know, the Jewish men are not known for being massive people. And he's the smallest of all of them, and he's still a teen. And, and Goliath is this giant that has this huge head. So you think about it. He's, he's got it by the hair, dragging it, or by the beard, or whatever he had. And he's just dragging this thing around, and it's bouncing around behind him. And this kid comes walking by the men who cowered in fear for 40 days, dragging the head of the thing they were afraid of. 
And suddenly they realized in an instant that thing was nothing to be afraid of. It's not so big and bad after all. That thing that you're afraid of that's, that's, that's a giant down in your valley screaming threats, all it wants is your attention. All it wants is your focus. All it wants is your time. That's all it wants. It wants to steal your attention, your time, and your focus because if you take your eyes off of him, even for good reasons, even for pure-sounding reasons, and even with the best of intentions, when you take your eyes off of him and you start to put them on the enemy or what he's doing or what Goliath is saying, you've lost your ability to stare into the face of Jesus, and suddenly you'll become more impressed by what the enemy's doing than the promises of God of what he'll do. It'll happen. And so First uh, Samuel chapter 17, we're going to read a lot. Um, so read along. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Soko, which belonged to Judah. And they camped between Soko and Azekah in Ephes Damum. Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array to encounter the Philistines. The Philistines stood on the mountain on one side while Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with the valley between them. Then a champion came out from the army of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was clothed with scale armor, which weighed 5,000 shekels of bronze. He also had bronze greaves on his leg and a bronze javelin slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and the head of his spear weighed 600 shekels of, arm, of iron. His shield carrier also walked before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel and said to them, Why do you come out to draw in battle array? Am I not the Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourself and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will become your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill them, then you shall become our servants and serve us. Again, the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now David was the son of of the Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah, whose name was Jesse, and he had eight sons. And Jesse was old in the days of Saul, advanced in years among men. The three older sons of Jesse had gone after Saul to the battle, and the names of the three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and the second was Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest. Now the three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul's tent to his father's flock at Bethlehem. The Philistine came forward morning and evening for 40 days and took his stand. Then Jesse said to David, his son, Take now for your brothers an ephah of this roasted grain and those ten loaves, and run to the camp for your brothers. Bring also these ten cuts of cheese to the commander of their thousands, and look into the welfare of your brothers, and bring back news of them. For Saul and they and all the men of Israel are in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. David accepts the challenge and heads out to follow his father's voice. You notice it said they and Saul and the armies are in the valley of Elah, fighting the Philistines. They weren't actually fighting the Philistines. There was not a lot of fighting going on, actually, at all. There was a lot of people who dressed up in their battle armor and came out and screamed and cried and shouted their battle cry, only to turn and run when the enemy walked down into the valley. You could imagine it's a good thing that nowadays there's not people that get dressed up and scream and shout, but then when one enemy walks into the valley, they turn and run in fear. It's a good thing that only happened in the days of the Bible. Because you can imagine how demoralizing that was for the Israelites 
and how emboldening it was for the Philistines to watch as the ones who had covenant with the God of Israel ran in fear when one uncircumcised man with no covenant walked into the valley and shouted a threat. That thing's not Lord. Whatever it is, that thing is not Lord. He is. So David arose early in the morning and left the flock with a keeper and took the supplies and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the circle of the camp while the army was going out in battle array, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines drew up in battle array, army against army. Then David left his luggage in the care of the baggage keeper and ran to the battle line and entered in order to greet his brothers. As he was talking with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine from Gath named Goliath, was coming up from the army of the Philistines, and he spoke these same words, and David heard them. When all the men of Israel saw the man, they fled from him and were greatly afraid. The men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who's coming up? Surely he is coming up to defy Israel, and it will be that the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. Then David spoke to the men who were standing there, saying, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? David walks onto the scene, and he hears the same thing that they've been hearing for 40 days. And then he hears what will be done for the man who will take away the reproach, who will kill this this Philistine. And look what he's more impressed with. He's focused on the promise. They're focused on the Philistine. He says, wait a minute. I don't need you to tell me what Goliath said again. I need to know what was promised. We sometimes get so focused on what the enemy has said, what the enemy has done, that that's all we focus on. That's all that comes out of our mouth. And there's a promise there standing for anyone who would believe. And he says, so David, he's this this little kid. And he says, wait, wait. And I can just imagine when he's saying this, picture in your minds, like this is happening real time. He's looking around at his brothers who are much bigger than he is, who look like mighty men of war. Remember when Samuel came to anoint him, when Eliab walked out, he was great in stature and was a mighty man of war. And Samuel said, surely this must be the king. And God says, I haven't chosen him, Samuel. You know the story. So picture little David looking up at his brothers going, wait a minute. What? 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 Tell me again what's being offered. And he's probably thinking in his mind, why aren't any of you going? You don't want to be made wealthy? You don't want to marry the king's daughter? You don't want our house to be set free in all of Israel? Like, you guys have been here for 40 days. Tell me again, this, this promise. This is where David's at. Look at his focus. He doesn't say, tell me again how big Goliath is. Just think about this. At the beginning, when it says, it talks about Goliath, it says he had a bronze helmet on his head. He was clothed with scale armor, which weighed 5,000 shekels of bronze. He had bronze greaves on his legs and a bronze javelin, and a shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and the tip of his spear weighed six. They already knew how much his armor weighed. How do you think they knew that? You th- do you think that they went down and, and, and like pulled up on their phones? Like, how much does Goliath's armor weigh? No, they had to figure it out by studying him. 
For 40 days, they were so focused on him that they figured out how tall he was, the material of everything that he was wearing, how much it weighed. Listen to me. Some of us have more knowledge about the enemy than we do the one who's promised to destroy the enemy. I'm telling you, it wasn't like Goliath sent out a flyer with his stats. Okay, Goliath of Gath here is my card. Explain to you my height, what my greaves are made of. Also, let it let you know my helmet is made of bronze. This scale armor that I'm wearing, 5,000 shekels weight. See that spear? Yep. You know how much the tip of that thing weighs? 600. That's right. It's more than you. Like, that's not what happened. What happened was is they became so focused on him that they knew everything about him and forgot everything they knew about the promises of God. David doesn't walk up and say, tell tell me again about Goliath. Why? Goliath's not the problem. So if he's not the problem, then the solution is not found by studying him. If Goliath's not the problem, the solution is not found by studying him. So he says, Then David spoke to the men who were standing with him, saying, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he taunts the armies of the living God? He's he's questioning them. He doesn't understand. Like, he's hearing what they're saying, but it's not making sense because he's going, he's uncircumcised. He has no covenant. Circumcision was a sign of covenant with God. He wasn't pointing out like, you know, something like gross or sexual about him. He's saying he doesn't have a covenant with the God of uh, the, 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 the God of the universe, the living God, the one true God. How is this man who has no covenant defying the army of the God of, of, of those who have covenant with him? Like it doesn't even make sense. There should be times in our lives when people are talking about things that it doesn't even make sense because what they're talking about doesn't line up with what God's spoken. And rather than making them feel good about the problem, we should look at them and say, what does that have to do with who the Lord is? Not in a rude way, not in a mean way, but just truth to each other and say, I I, I get that, but that's not Lord. He is. He's the Lord. He's the answer. Why this whole time we've talked, you've, you've mentioned nothing but the problem. You, you talk to people, and you ask them about what's going on. And I promise you, when they start talking, if they're facing something, their talk will be all about the problem. And at the very end, maybe put the little Christian bow tie on it, so pray for us. I'll pray for you, but I'll pray that the focus of your attention and the and the words that come from your mouth start to sound like what i find in his word versus the problem the threat and what could possibly go wrong i'm saying not rude but guys we like life's short let's just be honest with each other if you come talk to me and all i can tell you about is a problem i've lost my focus and i need somebody to speak the truth to me in love and snap me back to my to attention and say what are you focused on what are you doing This is what David's doing. It doesn't make any sense to him. He's standing in front of a bunch of people who have a covenant with God, who said, I will be your defender. He said, I'll be your defender. 
All you have to do is trust me and obey me. Well, if I'm there in obedience because I'm following the one that God has made to be king, I've already got the obedience part. Now all that's left is trust. And if I would do that, there's a promise that he would be my defender, that he would go before me, that he would actually destroy the enemy. He said, listen, he told them when they were coming out of Egypt, he said, listen, you're going to only with your eyes are you going to look on and see the destruction. Like, I'm going to go before you. Now you go and wipe them out. What was he saying? I'll take care of it. I just need you to act in faith. And sometimes we reduce that stuff to like whether we feel it or not in the moment. I was telling Dylan during worship, I had a thought come to my mind I never even thought of before. When we talk about feeling the presence of God and not feeling the presence of God, and I thought maybe when you feel the presence of God, it's God allowing you to experience his pleasure. And maybe when you don't, it's God allowing you to do something that gives him great pleasure. Because when you don't feel it, it's by faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. So maybe those times you felt him was the Lord allowing you to feel the pleasure of his presence. And maybe the times when you couldn't feel it was him allowing you the opportunity to do something that brings him pleasure. Come on. So there should be excitement either way because it's like, man, if I feel his presence, then I'm excited because I know it's the Lord actually encountering me and wanting me to feel something. But if I don't, I know it's him drawing me to a place where I can live by faith and bring great pleasure to him. So no matter which way it is, I'm not sitting on the floor broken because I don't feel something. I'm still living by faith and I'm walking before him and saying, I don't feel it in this moment. Right now, everything that I see says opposite, but I know what you've said, God, and I'm going to trust you and I'm going to obey you. And all of a sudden you're living by faith and then grace comes, like Dylan was talking about grace comes on that faith and suddenly you start to walk in something and you're drawn by grace grace isn't just the 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 forgiveness of god when you screw up it's the power of god for you to live the life he's called you to live and it comes on faith grace you are saved by grace through faith so by faith you start walking and grace comes upon that and so here's here's david and, and i honestly believe that there's a place we can get to where things don't make sense to us that don't make sense to the Lord. Like you think about God looking down from heaven. And we'll talk about the Israelites because no one in here would ever do something like this. But you think about the Lord looking down from heaven and seeing people who know him, who know the covenant promises he's made, who are there out of obedience. They are serving the king that he's put into place. As far as they know, they're being completely obedient. So they've got that part taken care of, and they know that his promise has always been, if you trust me and obey me, I'll provide and I'll protect. So they've got the obey part down, and he's watching, and the first day Goliath walks down into the valley and starts to threaten them. They turn around after just shouting this terrifying war cry. See, it doesn't matter what you say before the enemy speaks. It's the way you respond when the enemy speaks that matters. You can say whatever you want. When Goliath starts to shout, our response shows whether we actually believe what we said a few minutes before. And here's the problem, is that every time they ran in fear, their heart starts to trust their mouth a little less. Because what they're saying doesn't line up. And suddenly, they're double-minded. And the word says that if you're double-minded, you're unstable in all of your ways and let that man expect to receive nothing from the Lord. And here's how you get double-minded is by not actually believing in your heart to the point that it causes you to act on what you speak from your mouth. And it makes your heart sick. I mean, not you guys. I'm saying the Israelites. 
not us. And so God's watching, and all of a sudden, he looks down and he sees his people turn and run in terror because one man walked down into a valley and threatened them. I bet it doesn't make sense to him. It's, it's like you can, you can hear it in Jeremiah when he's talking to that verse. We talked about it about a month ago when I preached that Jeremiah 2.2. 2. He says, what fault did your fathers find with me that they went after gods who are not gods and built and dug cisterns where there is no... It doesn't make sense to him. He's going, wait a minute. Like, all I've been is good. Why did you go and pursue things that weren't good when all I've ever done is be good? And I think it's probably the same way. Like, if you could hear him, if you could hear the Lord as he's looking down at this, to him it doesn't make sense because he's looking and going, wait a minute, don't you remember what I, what I told you? Don't you remember my promises? Don't you know the covenant that we have? Don't you know that he doesn't have the covenant that you have? When the kingdoms clash, the, the one with the greater covenant is the one who comes out victorious. Well, guess what? No matter who you're facing, you have a greater covenant because your covenant is with the Most High. And so I think for David, it was generally this, genuinely like this place of like, What's being offered? Like, maybe I didn't hear that right. And so they repeat it to him. The people answered him in accord with this word, saying, Thus will be done for the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his older brother, heard when he spoke to the man, and Eliab's anger burned against David and said, Why have you come down? And with who have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your insolence and the wickedness of your heart, for you've come down in order to see the battle. David said, what have I done now? Was it not just a question? Here's the problem. Is when somebody responds in faith and starts questioning the thing that should be questioned and isn't afraid the way you're afraid, it challenges you. And you can do one of two things. You can humble yourself and be honest about it and ask them, what are you seeing that I'm not, that you're not afraid because I am? Or you can seek to shut them up because the more they talk, the more you feel condemned, the more you feel convicted. Don't be surprised when you start actually letting the word of God be the thing that comes from your mouth, when you start letting the promises of God be the thing that you focus on, when you don't live in response to fear, but you do live in response to who he is. If people around you that aren't living the same way get offended by it and actually start to question you and ask you, who do you think you are? You start talking like Dylan was talking this morning, or you start talking the, the way we talk when we're talking about who we are in Christ, being the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and watch the older brothers in your life start asking, who do you think you are? It's not about who I think I am. If this was about who I think I am, I deserve nothing. It's about who he says I am, and what he says trumps what I think. So when what I think opposes what he says, I bow to what he says, even at the expense of my own thoughts. You, you realize, like, like, when you talk about yourself in a way that God never does, it's not being humble. It's the most prideful, arrogant thing that you could do because you're exalting your own knowledge above his. So when you call yourself something that the word of God expressly says that you're not at the expense of who it says that you are, it's the worst form of pride there is because you're exalting what you think about yourself over what he said about you. That's not humble. That's a false humility, and it's just pride dressed up. That's a different message for a different day, but 
But you can see it here. Eliab says, and he even has to insult him. He can't be like, what have you done with the flocks? It's like, what have you done with those few sheep? He wants to remind him of how insignificant he is because he only has a few sheep. You realize it's never been about how many sheep you have. It's been about the one who's shepherding you. We make things about how many sheep. All he cares about is who's your shepherd. Because if the Lord is your shepherd, you shall not want. I could go in so many different ways right now. I'm telling you. Gosh, this is, why I, this is one of the reasons I just can't stand having two services. Y'all, we need to just believe that God's going to give us whatever we need so that we can all be together for one service, and then I can preach for five hours. I'm just kidding. Yeah, you, you cheer now. When you were working in children's church, you wouldn't be cheering. You're like, doesn't that dude ever shut up? We get it. God's amazing. Let's go eat. Get these children out of here. <laughs> I, I'm never going to finish all of this, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop with, the, with, this, with this point here. And this is the thing that I really wanted to talk about if I didn't get to anything else with this. I feel like for a lot of us, there's been a Goliath in the valley. There's been a thing that's been demanding our attention that has come out every single day and said, you're going to pay attention to me and you're going to live in response to what I'm saying. And we don't even realize it sometimes. Like, think about it. The Israelites didn't realize that they were living in response to Goliath. They still thought that they were children of the Most High, but they were actually living their lives in response to Goliath rather than in response to the Lord. And, 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 and so if you look at what David does when he walks into the camp, the first thing he wants to know are what are the promises? I want, I want the worship team to come back up because we're, we're going to worship um, together for, for a minute before we leave. But, but the first thing David wants to know is what are the promises? And I, and I feel like for, for anybody in here who maybe has lost sight of, of the Lord because they've been so intently, and listen, with a good, pure heart. I'm not, these are, I'm not talking about people who are looking at sin. If you are, repent. Ask God to come and set you free from that and then walk after the Spirit and you'll put to death the deeds of the, of the flesh. Not, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, like, maybe, maybe it's been this, this law that got passed and we've been so focused on the fact that, that all of these, these babies could possibly die and we lose sight of the fact that for every baby that dies, there's a human that is alive right now that believes it's okay, who is separated from the Father and is going to spend eternity separated from him because the law is not because of people. It's because of people's hearts. People aren't the reason for it. That law is a symptom. It's a symptom. It's a, it's a, it's something, it, it's, a, it's a measuring point of where we've got to as a country. And people aren't the problem. The politicians that pass that law are not the enemy. They're in the grip of the enemy, and they need to be born again. Because they're children of God that were created in his image and in his likeness. And Jesus paid the same price for their life as he paid for ours. And we should let that bring us to a place of being brokenhearted for the babies, but also brokenhearted for the people who are behind it. We make one the enemy at the expense of the other rather than realizing that Jesus' blood was shed for both. Maybe it's been that. Like, and with a good heart, like it's been what's consumed you. And you've lost sight of the promises of God. He said, if you'll humble yourselves, if you'll repent, if you'll seek my face, I'll heal your land. We're, we're not going to legislate our way into loving God. But loving God will make its way into our legislation. I'm telling you. Or maybe it's a, it's, a, it's a relationship issue. You know, those things are real. Those things are real. 
You, you know, there was, there was one time that disciples asked God, I saw this this week, I was talking to them, I'm like, you ever seen that? There was one time disciples asked God to increase their faith. It wasn't when he said, go cast out demons, lay hands on the sick, raise the dead. It was when they asked him, how many times do I have to forgive my brother? And he said, 70 times seven. They looked at him and said, Lord, increase our faith. Yeah. What were they saying? God, we can go raise the dead, but if you want us to live in love towards someone who's continually doing something to offend us, we're going to need more faith than that. Yeah. Those things are real, but they're not Lord. Amen. He is. He is. I don't know what it is, but I, I feel like the body of Christ has allowed ourselves with good intentions, and we've even sometimes classified ourselves by the Goliath that we stare at the most. We divided ourselves into camp, and I focus on this Goliath, and you focus on that Goliath, and the Lord's in the middle the whole time saying, why don't you just look at me? Why doesn't somebody just put their focus on me and trust the battle belongs to me? So David does two things. One, he focuses on the promises. If you've lost sight of that, if that Goliath has been intimidating you or shouting or stealing your attention, if you've lost your joy, this I can promise you, you've lost your worship because you cannot stare at Goliath and worship God at the same time. One comes at the expense of the other. And the other thing he does when you will see later when he talks to Saul is he reminds Saul of what God's already done. So he does two things. He remembers what God's already done and he remembers what has been promised and focused on what's been promised. I just want to challenge us. You guys just stand up. We're going to worship together and I, I want you to do this. I want you to, 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 to turn your back in, in the spirit. Turn your back on that Goliath. Don't give him any more of your attention. It's what he wants. He wants your attention. That guy's not your problem. It's the spirit that's controlling him that is. So quit giving it your attention. And I want us to do two things. I want us to start reminding ourselves of what God's done. He looks at Saul, and Saul says, you can't do that. He says, listen, the Lord delivered me from the hand of the lion and the hand of the bear. Surely he will deliver the head of this uncircumcised Philistine into my hands this day. And then he looks at a king a warrior king. It said Saul stood head and shoulders above every other man. He looks at the biggest man in the nation of Israel and says, oh, king, don't let any man's heart fail on account of fear. You've got a little boy telling a king, don't be afraid. Why? Because he's walking with the one who drives away fear, who casts out fear with his perfect love. This same boy would go on to write later, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. And then you look at Jesus when he sends his disciples and they prepare a table. What is it for? It's to sit with him and have communion with him. David knew the secret to it was not how big he was or how big the giant was, how skilled he was. It wasn't any of those things. It was the one he was walking in communion with. And that would be the thing that would take the head off the giant. So, Father, I just pray that as we worship, we would remind ourselves of everything that you've done. God, we're not worshiping for something. We're worshiping unto someone. Paul and Silas weren't worshiping going, hey, maybe if we sing, the walls will come down. They were worshiping because when they were sitting in the middle of the most disgusting place on earth, all that came out of their hearts was, oh, he's amazing. He's amazing. Blessing and honor and glory and power belongs to you, oh God. Why? They're not worshiping to try to get out. You know that because when the walls fall down, they don't leave. They go find people and bring them into the kingdom of God and then report back to the prison so the jailer doesn't get destroyed. They're not worshiping for something. You can't worship for something. You worship unto someone and then he comes and is who he is and does what he said he'd do. 
Yeah. So God, I just pray that as we worship, we remind ourselves of what you've done and we would fix our eyes on the promises that have been made. I pray, God, that as we do this, that our focus and our attention, our sole attention would be fixed on you, God. That we would be so busy worshiping the one who we're in love with and the one who, at the mention of his name, the earth trembles and quakes, that we would be so busy worshiping him that we would forget about the giant. And when it's time, we'll walk into the valley, we'll cut his head off, We'll hold it up for everyone else to see so that they see there is no threat to our God and there is no enemy that can stand. But until that time comes, we'll just worship you and just be in love. In Jesus' name, amen.